Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. And today, I am so excited to bring you this interview with talent strategist and future of work enthusiast, Naomi Teitelman-Cola. Naomi is the founder of Collaborativity Inc., a Toronto-based consultancy focused on driving progressive talent strategy in this new world of work. Naomi is also a monthly contributor to the Globe and Mail's report on business and co-founder of Future Forward whose mission is to empower human resources and all the leaders of the future to make work better. In other words, she's busy, but she's passionate about helping people understand and successfully navigate a world of work in which we're all still adjusting. So stay tuned for her wise and actionable insights. There's something for everyone to take away. Well, Naomi Teitelman-Cola, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to be having this conversation with you. Pleasure to be here. So Naomi, as I mentioned, is the founder of Collaborativity and the co-founder of Future Forward. And she is a self-described future of work enthusiast and talent strategist. I invited Naomi to join me here today because in full disclosure, Naomi and I used to work together many moons ago, and I have tremendous respect for her strategic thinking capabilities and her curiosity. And I know she has been doing an incredible amount of research and thinking and publishing in the realm of the future of work and being successful in a hybrid world. And I think that these are big questions that all of us have been grappling with. Naomi, I I don't necessarily expect that you have all the answers, but I'm counting on you to throw some perspective into the mix. And I'm so excited that you're here. Right now, at at this moment that we're recording, we are in this ever ambiguous, never quite settling moment of work where it seems like every company is in a different place. But I feel like most companies that I'm finding myself in these days are in some version of like a hybrid situation. You've got some people remote, some people coming in, some people doing a little bit of both. And I'm just curious about what you're seeing in your work. What are you observing and where are you seeing challenges and where are you seeing people figuring things out? Yeah, so absolutely. I've been talking about hybrid working for quite frankly decades. So I've always worked in hybrid (laughs) models through my entire career. I've never actually had an office where I've gone to that same office every single day. So this is not new, but hybrid working at this scale is new. 
And because there's so much uncertainty around it, there's also a lot of questions. And when people have questions and people are uncertain, they tend to want to control. So, you know, firstly, I want to say there's a difference between return to office post-pandemic and hybrid working. So one may inform the other. So if you're returning to office and you have a return to office strategy, that very well may inform what your future hybrid working model looks like. And now I think we're really at that juncture where we are transitioning from return to office strategy to a true hybrid model. And a lot of companies are grappling with what does that actually mean for my organization, for the work, for the teams, for individuals, for leaders. Um, There's a lot of questions out there. The other thing I want to say is that there is a difference between a hybrid working model and a fully remote or a remote first working model. So a hybrid model is where the organization has put in place the expectation that people are in the office and at home or or not in the office. It doesn't necessarily have to be at home. Um, At some point during a week, during a month, during a periodic time. But if we have remote workers in a hybrid model, that is an exception. So what I mean by that is we will always have exceptions. We've had exceptions at many companies for many, many years of people who are fully remote, either they're salespeople or they have a specific exception for why they need to be remote. Those are fully remote workers, and that's a different category. And if you're a remote worker within a hybrid model, that to me is an exception. So in a true hybrid model, where people, again, are expected to be in the office and remote for some portion of the week, then we have lots of questions around what does that mean? How prescriptive should we be? Should we be three days in the office, two days at home? Does it really matter? Who's actually going to check up on me? Um, Nick Bloom at Stanford has done a lot of amazing research on this. And it's interesting because, you know, there's a point of view about kind of the optimal number of days in and out of the office. There's a point of view around, you know, will people actually um, comply with these rules? And it looks like people are generally complying with the rules, but people want to know why. They, they need the compelling reason, why do I have to be in the office when I've proven that I can get my work done from home over the past two years? So that's really the challenge with organizations right now, really building that compelling case and not free lunch, by the way, a better <laughs> compelling case for why people need to be in the office. And I think that's really what many organizations are, are kind of struggling with right now. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting that you put it that way, because I feel like when I am sitting with clients in the executive suite, I'll hear them say things like, well, we need to bring people back because because culture, and that's mm-hmm. how we build culture, right? Or that's how we drive collaboration, or that's how we innovate together. But then I'll talk to people further down in the organization who, like you said, don't want to be coming in, they feel like they've proven themselves, and they'll say, yeah, but I go into the office because people tell me I have to go in and and nobody else is there. Or I go mm-hmm. in and I'm sitting on Zoom meetings all day. And, you know, it doesn't feel like culture or collaboration or innovation. And so it feels like there's this disconnect between what executive leadership is is envisioning and what employees are experiencing. And I'm curious if you've seen the same thing and what kinds of conversations you're having with executives in those cases. Yes, I've had so many of those conversations. Um, so number one, I think the whole culture doesn't happen if we're not all together is a red herring. Um, if, if, if an organization didn't have a strong or deliberate or defined culture before the pandemic, and everyone went remote, 
that's a big challenge. But I would say instead, it's not that culture doesn't happen remotely. It's that you have to be very deliberate about what your culture needs to be in order to achieve the broader mission or vision or purpose of the organization. And how do you build the artifacts, the symbols, the norms around that purpose and around those values and around that culture, both in person and remotely? So I've spoken to executives who think of the company picnic as the epitome of culture, right? But if you don't have a company picnic, does that mean you don't have a culture? So, you know, I think we're at a very important time in all of our, you know, organizations to really figure out, you know, what is our purpose? besides, you know, earning revenue and satisfying shareholders. And, you know, what what types of values do we need in order to, you know, move that along or, or, you know, aspire to that purpose? And then what culture do we need in order to make that happen? You know, it's not about the company picnic. It could be about, you know, leaving people alone after 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> you can't form a culture without knowing what type of culture you need in order to advance the mission, vision, values of the organization. Yeah, I think that's, that's really well said. And I'm curious, without naming any names, have you over the course of the past couple years worked with any companies that you feel have sort of made this transition effectively that have have made the leap from my culture used to be the company picnic to, oh, okay, now I get what culture is. And these are sort of the practices or the behaviors or the the norms that we've built into the DNA of how we're doing business together. Yeah, I mean, I always look to Microsoft. I mean, of course, they were doing their culture transformation well before the pandemic, but they've put out some really provocative, interesting, well thought through pragmatic examples and tools and workbooks around how to think about this problem. Um, One of the things they've done, which I love, is they're moving from measuring engagement to measuring thriving. So engagement, you may think like, how engaged do people look in the office? I need to touch and feel them and see them. No, let's not touch and feel and see people, <laughs> but uh, let's see them, but let's not touch and feel them. Um, but but I think the thriving, I, I'm not sure exactly how they're measuring it, but I think that's such an important shift um, because people can thrive being in the office, being at home, being a combination, working late hours, working early hours. I mean, whoever invented the the working hours nine to five in an office or nine to ten in an office? I mean, it, this this it's industrial time stuff that we need to shake up and we need to get out of. But I will say, you know, most organizations are thinking through kind of what works for their culture, their work, right? The nature of the work that's actually done in their organizations, and it really tends to vary from group to group, right? So if there's a group that you know, a tech group, for example, they're used to working remotely, they're used to working, you know, in the way that they've worked pre pandemic, and they're very comfortable remote. And there's other groups that really feed off the human energy in a very real way that can't necessarily be replicated if you're five days a week at home. So I think really looking at kind of what activities, what is the work that the actual group does, not even at the organizational level, which you may have kind of guardrails and guidelines at the organizational level, but really providing some guidelines to the individual teams, depending on the work that they do, the types of roles they have, how long they've been in existence. I think these are really important things to take a look at and individualize as opposed to this is the right way or wrong way to make hybrid happen. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean 
every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. I'd love to get your perspective, Naomi, on, you know, as you were describing and defining what it means to be hybrid. So during the course of a week or a month, sometimes people are in the office, sometimes they're out of the office. And to the extent that an organization empowers you to decide where you are, when, any thoughts on how people can be thinking about maximizing their effectiveness? So how do you best use your time in the office and how do you best use your days at home? And, you know, how do we start to be really thoughtful and intentional about those things? I love that question so much because so many teams are still at the point of saying, okay, everybody needs to be in the office Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or choose your own adventure. And I'm being really empowering by telling everybody to choose whatever day they want to be in the office. And exactly to your point, they come into the office just to sit on Zoom meetings all day, and then they're frustrated and they say, this wasn't worth it, and I'm not going to do this again, right? So I think the key here, and you, you know, you and I have worked together in a hybrid model in our in our previous lives. And, and, you know, I think it does take time to normalize and to get into a routine where you just know in your gut when it makes sense to be in the office and when it doesn't. But I will say, I do have just a few tips of how I kind of planned, you know, at the time when we were migrating to a hybrid working environment, as well as how I approach my, my calendaring and my scheduling now as an entrepreneur, really three simple steps. So firstly, I plan my in-office and work-from-home days. So literally, I sit there. This is very tactical. But I scan my calendar each Friday for two to four weeks out, and I look for patterns. So do I have certain days that are very heavy on collaboration, very heavy on social? Are there sensitive meetings that would be better suited in person? And depending on how many I have and, and where they are in the week and how much control I have over each of those meetings... I try to cluster them and make kind of a very deliberate in the office day, right? And then I try to take all my individual work and try to scatter it on the other days. So if I'm, you know, wanting to be in the office two days that week, I kind of put those really important face-to-face -face type of activities on my calendar. And I try to move out anything that, that requires kind of heads down work or meetings with people in other time zones that I could easily do, you know, from home if I have to be on Zoom or, or whatever the case is. So that's really about planning my in-office and, and work-from-home days, and then going into the second one, which is really optimizing those in-office days. 
So if I have my in-office days, and again, getting a bit tactical, then I look for kind of the spaces in my calendar and I want to optimize those as much as possible. So are there people that I work with that I want to say, drop a quick note to and say, hey, I'm going to be in the office next week on Wednesday. Any chance you'll be there and you're up for a coffee, right? And if they're not, then I move on to the next person. And I'm just very deliberate. And I'll tell you, in my prior role, I moved to Toronto from New York. And I had some coworkers who didn't know that I made the move because I was so deliberate when I was in the New York office to see people and to have meaningful connections with them that they actually didn't even know that I moved to Toronto. Never mind the fact that I was working at home. I was working at home in Toronto and they didn't realize that. So there, there's a way to make this happen. And it all comes down to the third point, which is communicate with my teams and my clients. There's no such thing as over communication in this new world. And, you know, especially if there's inconsistency in point of view in terms of, do I think this should be in the office or do I think it should be remote, right? And I think people get really frustrated when they assume that something or some interaction, some meeting should be face-to-face and others don't. And instead of saying, hey, why didn't you show up? Or, or, you know, did you not think, you know, and having an open, transparent conversation, better yet have it before the meeting, or even a week before the meeting to, to make sure that you're on the same page. They just harbor resentment, right? And they make assumptions, oh, it was important for me to be in the office, but not the other person. And now I'm really frustrated. And now I'm not coming from a place of assuming positive intent, which I think is such an important principle in making hybrid working work. Yeah. And what's so interesting about what you're describing as far as being planful and being intentional and having open dialogue, that applies to both hybrid work and everything else. Yeah, <laughs> those two exactly. things, right? Yeah. I mean, these are just principles of being effective as as contributors, as leaders, as members of a team, right? And I think what you're doing beautifully is applying them to the world of hybrid, but the reality is hybrid, in-person, remote, 2018, 2025, right? Probably always be planful and strategic and assume positive intent in any context. I think those are really solid values. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, people are not mind readers. And so it's really, really important to over-communicate. Exactly like you said, this is a principle that applies always. But especially as we're transitioning to this, you know, to a hybrid world where, again, it hasn't been done at scale um, to this extent, and therefore people want to control. Leaders want to control. They want to know when their people are going to be sitting in front of them, those who have not experienced this before. And I don't want to overgeneralize. There are many leaders who do this beautifully, but this is new, right? And this is on top of the leadership challenges that they already have. And the past two years that have added way, way more to everybody's plate. So, you know, I think the, the communication piece and the assuming positive intent and trusting your team, and by the way, trusting your leader as well. So if your leader says, I want you to come into the office on Wednesday, and the why may not be because we have this meeting, it may just be, we need to huddle and get our team together for some good team hygiene, right? See each other, exchange some good human energy. That's okay too. So, you know, trusting both ways is really, really important and helping one another and being open and transparent with feedback in terms of, you know, I think that could have been done easier remotely. And here's why I think it actually would have been even better remote. So I'll go back to one of your points about collaboration. I've discovered during the pandemic that there are pieces of certain workshops that I run 
that I think forever should be asynchronous and digital. I don't think workshops need to be face-to-face and in-person for four hours or five hours or eight hours or three days. I think that there's a really nice balance between asynchronous and synchronous, between digital and face-to-face. I think um, there is such an opportunity to rethink how work gets done. Um, so, you know, the whole we can't collaborate unless we're in person is another red herring that I'm not a big fan of. I think that that's exactly right. And I think for you know, for some of the leaders who are maybe a bit further up in the organization, maybe they're a bit more tenured, and they they hold views that are grounded in experiences that they've had, you know, over many years, assumptions about what collaboration looks like and what culture looks like. You know, I think leaders need to take responsibility for questioning some of their assumptions and, and being willing to flex their definition of what what together can feel like, what collaboration can feel like, how we can brainstorm, how we can innovate. So I think there are things we can all be doing and doing better and differently. Yeah, for sure. And and just having growth mindset and just realizing that this is not going to be perfect. By far, it's not going to be perfect. And we're going to iterate and learn. And we can only do that if we assume positive intent and trust one another, which I know is very loaded because, you know, psychological safety is is a real thing that needs to be built in many, many teams and many organizations. But we need to start from a place of everyone wants to do good work and everyone wants to be successful in this new model. So it's interesting because you're talking about this concept of, you know, certain, not all, but certain leaders want to control and there has to be some level of trust. And even there is a pretty famous public figure leading an organization who has recently come out and said some pretty controversial things about how people working from home are just pretending, time to stop faking. What are your thoughts on people who are experiencing this sense of, but I need to be sending emails at midnight and I need to be online and I need to be seen and I need my light to be green because I feel like I'm being, you know, kind of watched or monitored and and it's potentially becoming unhealthy in certain instances. Are you seeing any of that yourself? Yeah, I think that was one of the dangers of us working comfortably, well, not so comfortably, but remotely entirely through the pandemic is that there was real blurred lines between personal and professional time. And th- those, those, that blurriness existed before the pandemic, let's be honest. It, it, it started when I got my very first BlackBerry, probably in 2001. So that's when the lines started to blur because you could be reachable at any time. But burnout is real. I mean, burnout is one of those words that you hear everywhere you turn. And, you know, I think organizations that truly lead from a human-centered perspective and from, from a place where they truly believe that if you take care of your people, they will take care of the business. Not all leaders believe that. You know, you have to focus on well-being as part of that, right? And, you know, and, and there's so much leaders can do to role model this behavior, right? So not sending out emails, because when people send out emails at 10 or at midnight or whatever the case is, they're not, they, they may say you don't have to respond to this tonight, but that's not really that fair, right? You're just putting the problem in someone else's court. And as soon as they see that notification go off, of course, they're going to want to look, of course, they're going to want to respond. And there's so many great digital tools that we can use that are very simple to mitigate this. So, you know, burnout is real. Well-being is such an important consideration, is such an important, it should be number one consideration for leaders right now, both because we are still in kind of this precarious world we live in and because, you know, healthy, happy employees will do better for the business. So I think it's definitely something to pay attention to very seriously. What advice do you have for somebody who may be feeling 
a little bit helpless and maybe a little bit victimized by the reality of their current work situation? So firstly, I would say, you know, more and more, we need to have comfort in speaking up and in bringing our views to our leaders in a delicate way, however, because not everybody feels the same way about these things. I think what we were talking about is more, you know, if you want to be fully remote or you want to be, you know, working from home more than you're supposed to be because you believe that you can be productive at home, you know, working working there, you know, five days a week when the expectation is you're in the office two days a week, you need to kind of proactively manage your own career, right? So nobody's going to tell you you're not going to get a promotion or you're not going to get a raise or you're not going to be considered for the plum projects because you work remotely. But there is a certain level of management that you have to do to maintain your relationships, right? And maintain kind of the trust of your leaders. And it's not about FaceTime. It's not about simply being in front of your leader. It's really about nurturing those relationships and having that meaningful human energy exchange, which is much more effective in person. So the advice I would give is even if I see this so much, right? I see people say, I can be fully productive working fully remotely at home and even more so, right? Because I don't have to commute and I I have everything I need right here. I can go for a walk and nobody's paying attention to, you know, to the clock and all that stuff. And that's all fine and good. And there's a lot of quote unquote activities that happen in the office that aren't tasks and they're not deliverables that you can't kind of feel them, but are really, really important to consider. So if you think to yourself, hmm, I don't remember the last time I saw my leader, my peer, someone I work really closely with, it may be a trigger to actually proactively, you know, it may not be comfortable, may not be your preference, but actually make the effort to go to the office, but deliberately see the people you want to see. And again, it's not about FaceTime. It's really about taking care of those relationships, which is such an important aspect of, um, of, of our society, right? Of our organizations in our society. I think that that is exactly right. I think it is about showing care for the relationships. And it's and it's also about, you know, this kind of pandemic of loneliness that we've seen emerge a little bit. And, you know, everybody is wired differently. Everybody has different ways in which they get energy. You know, and introverts may prefer to be at home more often. But, but to your point, you know, continuing to nurture relationships and recognize that sometimes there is value in being in person that is not necessarily quantifiable, right? And there's not necessarily an explicit task that has to happen, but simply sharing space with somebody in the same room can just create a different energy between you than than Zoom could ever offer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm so thankful for Zoom because could you imagine 10 years ago going through this without Zoom? I mean, it would have been impossible, right? So, you know, back to my point around looking at your calendar, seeing what you have, trying to cluster things and just trying it on one day, right? If you're someone who's had a really hard time even getting to the office one day, just try it once, but be very deliberate about what you're going to do on that day. Don't go to the office and sit on Zoom the entire day. That That is a clear indication that you went to the office on the wrong day, right? So, you know, rally your team. It doesn't have to come from the leader, right? Rally your team. Say, hey, guys, I'm going to be on in the office in three Thursdays from now. How about we all get together for lunch? And then that's your anchor to kind of build your calendar around that day. So, you know, putting putting something in the calendar that that makes sense to be in person and then building around it 
um, it just makes such a difference, right? And we're so lucky that now we have this balance of both, right? Now we can be digital and we can be in person. Whereas the last two years in the pandemic or two plus years, we haven't had the choice. And that's really the difference. The freedom of choosing when you're in the office, when you're not, is just such a great opportunity, but we really have to take it as an opportunity to, to, to see the benefits of both sides of being in the office and kind of having our heads down and being able to work remotely as well. So Naomi, I know we've got just a couple minutes left together and we have, I think, done a pretty nice service to the conversation about hybrid work. I'm curious if we were to expand out a little bit. I know you play a lot in the realm of the future of work. And, and, you know, if you look at 10 years ago or even two years ago, right now we are living in the future of work, which means that there is a new future ahead of Mm -hmm. us, presumably. I'm curious, what's top of mind for you? What do you think maybe is coming next? Or what can we be doing to get ourselves ready for whatever may be coming at us? Yeah, it's funny. I always make the joke that before the pandemic, when I said future of work, and when I gave presentations about the future of work and said what comes to mind, it was all about robots, right? It was all about robots (laughs) taking over jobs. Um, And that was, you know, it was all built around that, right? More digital, less in person. it's, It's interesting. And now it's all about hybrid working. I think, Rachel, you'll appreciate this because this is where you spend a lot of your time, but leadership is so important, right? We could talk about hybrid working. We could talk about, you know, the other trends, DEI and talent mobility and, um, you know, well-being and all these other themes and trends that are so important to consider. And without leadership, they mean nothing because leaders are the ones that need to bring this to life. I mean, my poor HR colleagues who have been thrown so much over the past two and a half years. Leaders are the are the front lines of delivering all of this change, right? And so we need to make sure that we wrap our arms around the leaders and make sure that they have the space to be vulnerable, to ask questions, and to be able to lead in new ways. And it's really about, you know, I use the term human-centered leadership a lot, but it's, it's a different approach to leadership. We need leaders to lead in different ways. And it's not just about leading in a virtual world, but leading in a world that is, you know, uncertain and changes on a dime. And, you know, and it's a different type of leader who's successful in that model. So I think the focus on leadership, I think the focus on leadership development in a really meaningful way is super duper important. Ooh. Yes, you are definitely singing my song. And I do completely agree. And I think that applies to leaders at every level of an organization, right? Whether you are sitting in the executive suite or, you know, you're leading a team of two coders or project managers or salespeople, you know, at the end of the day, your job as a leader more now than ever is not so much to be doing work or directing tasks, but really lifting your people up, ensuring that they have the mind space and the clarity and the energy to execute. And at the end of the day, it's a, it can be a really challenging thing to figure out. And I, I'm happy to see organizations really starting to invest in kind of a revised brand of developing their leaders. Well, Naomi Teitelman Kola, it was an honor and a pleasure having you on Modern Mentor. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I look forward to seeing you soon. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Naomi. Learn more about her and her work at collaborativity.ca. Please join me next week for another great episode. Until then, visit my website at leadabovenoise.com 
If your organization is looking for partnership in retaining, engaging, or developing talent, you can follow Modern Mentor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on the Modern Mentor Podcast page on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for listening, and have a successful week. Modern Mentor is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Farabend, with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Brendan Pika. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.